In any given year, the New York City Fire Department responds to more working fires than the fire departments of Chicago, Los Angeles, and Philadelphia combined. And the whole department exists simply to serve the people of the city. And I know that you know that everybody uh, hears those kinds of things, and it sounds you know it sounds kind of corny. It sounds a little hackneyed, perhaps, but that's that's the reason this department exists. Uh, the thing that sets the firefighter apart is that. It's he or she who, when the bell sounds, goes and has to be ready at any moment to go in harm's way and to do whatever is necessary to help the person who called them. FDNY Chief William Feehan, better known as Bill, was a knowledge center of the New York City Fire Department. As you just heard him share in an interview with filmmaker Harvey Wang, Chief Bill Feehan was well-versed on a wide range of subjects and possessed exceptional leadership qualities. He was a firefighter's chief who held every rank in the FDNY and served the department for more than 41 years. His command philosophy and leadership style were shaped by his love for the United States, New York City, the FDNY and its members, his Catholic faith, and his devotion to his family. A lifelong student of history, particularly that of the fire department and military, Chief Feehan was a strategic-minded leader who balanced the necessity to innovate with an appreciation for the FDNY's special culture, storied past, and human spirit. This department is rich in tradition, it's rich in history. There is a maybe not a firehouse culture, but a fire department culture. And it's a very special culture. When you have a department whose men and women are expected to be ready at any moment to put their life on the line, to go to the aid of a stranger, even when it means that you may put yourself in harm's way, actually in dire peril, I don't think you can pay people to do that job. There has to be something beyond money that makes them do that. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, Bill Feehan was an FDNY deputy commissioner. He'd retired from uniformed service several years before, but continued to serve his beloved department and city. In true Chief Feehan fashion, he responded to the World Trade Center attacks that morning, donning his helmet and turnout coat as he provided counsel to the department's senior leaders such as Chief of Department Pete Gancy. Chief Feehan was one of the 343 FDNY members who made the supreme sacrifice on 9-11, leaving behind an enduring mark on the department and a legacy that continues to inspire many members in the FDNY today, most notably those members of his family who continue to lead and serve. You're listening to the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. In this episode, I'm honored to amplify the story of Chief Bill Feehan's leadership, service, and devotion to his family and the FDNY. Compliments of insight from his son, FDNY Battalion Chief John Feehan, his grandson, firefighter Connor Davin, and former FDNY Fire Commissioner and friend, Daniel Nigro.
William Feehan Jr. was alive during some of our country's most historic events. Born into a working-class family a month prior to the stock market crash of 1929, Bill was a child of the Great Depression. He was just 12 years old when Pearl Harbor was attacked in December 1941, which initiated the United States' entry into World War II on both the European and Pacific front. According to Bill's son, John, profound experiences such as these helped shape Feehan's love of country and cultivated a spirit of fortitude. I think that the events of both the stock market coupled with World War II soon after really imbued upon everyone a real sense of camaraderie and patriotism that lasted over the years. And I think it really shaped the generation of people of my father's age to understand what it meant to do something greater than yourself. You know, obviously, the Depression lasted four years, World War II lasted four years, and there was really no in-between. I just think it really forged people's idea of what it means to come together and what it means to serve a, a cause greater than yourself. And I think that it was just a, a unique time in history as far as being faced with adversity for such a length of uh, time. I think it really forged their identity as far as helping each other out and serving. As the son of a fireman, Bill elected to take an uncommon path at the time of his graduation from Cathedral Prep High School in Brooklyn. Feehan attended St. John's University, where he studied history and obtained a bachelor's degree. He graduated in 1952, during which time the U.S. military had a sizable force of combat troops in Korea. Equipped with a college degree and a love of history, Feehan served in Korea with the U.S. Army. His experiences as a soldier in combat undoubtedly influenced his philosophy on leadership and service in the decades ahead, as well as a disdain for the cold and a particular type of candy. I believe he was in Korea towards the later part of the war. Certain things he did share with me, he despised the cold after that. He said he's never been as cold as he was in Korea. And, and his lifelong hatred of a, back then, before there were MREs, there were sea rations, right? And the, in the sea rations, they would get something called chuckles, which was like a candy. It was like a licorice candy. So his time in Korea forced him to hate the cold and hate chuckles candy. And always did tell me about that part. Prior to joining the FDNY as a firefighter, Bill Feehan was a member of the New York Fire Patrol. The patrol was disbanded in 2006, but had a long, rich history. At the time of Feehan's involvement, a patrolman's job was essentially the same since the beginnings of fire salvage work, to protect and serve property and life at and after a fire. The New York Fire Patrol helped decrease the cost of insurance claims and protect important records and electrical content. On the evening of February 14, 1958, Feehan was operating as a member of Fire Patrol 1 at a fire in a commercial loft building on Wooster Street in Lower Manhattan when the building collapsed. The catastrophic collapse claimed the lives of four of Feehan's fellow members of Fire Patrol 1, along with two members of the FDNY. There's a very powerful picture of him in the fire patrol coming out of the Worcester Street collapse, carrying out a, uh, again, he doesn't have a helmet on, so I don't know if it's a fellow patrolman or a firefighter. And uh, a very, very young Bill Feehan 
probably helping out, you know, someone who was caught in the collapse. He was, uh, like you said, he was a member of the fire patrol, a proud member of the fire patrol. For anyone who is unsure uh, or unfamiliar with the fire patrol, they used to work for the Board of Fire Underwriters. They would respond to commercial fires uh, in the five boroughs, and they would try to protect contents. While the fire department was putting the fire out, the fire patrol was in there with them side by side trying to uh, protect the content. The fatal fire didn't deter or discourage Bill Feehan from following in his father's footsteps. His dream of becoming a New York City fireman, just like his father, became a reality in 1959. At the start of his career, he was assigned to Ladder Company 3, where he joined his childhood friend, Jim Maron. Shortly after, the FDNY responded to two historic fires and emergencies in December of 1960. A commercial passenger airline crash in Park Slope, resulting from a mid-air collision over Brooklyn, and a major fire aboard the USS Constellation in the Brooklyn Navy Yard that claimed the lives of 60 workers, a death toll that would have been much higher if not for the heroic actions of FDNY members. Fireman Feehan was promoted to lieutenant in 1964 and was assigned to Ladder Company 6 in Chinatown. On the evening of October 17, 1966, Ladder Company 6, under the command of Lieutenant Feehan, responded to a multiple alarm fire in a commercial occupancy on 23rd Street. The catastrophic collapse that occurred at that fire claimed the lives of 12 members eight firefighters, two lieutenants, a battalion chief, and a deputy chief. Though officially only a seven-year veteran of the department at the time, Lieutenant Feehan had been present for several of the FDNY's most historic fires and emergencies. Like his adolescent years, these experiences of consequence undoubtedly shaped his operational worldview on the limits of safety that he would carry with him for the remainder of his career and communicate to those under his charge, a worldview anchored in a harsh reality of inherent personal risk. I think what those early experiences uh, showed my father was that he didn't have a fatalistic view of the job, certainly, but he definitely had a realistic view of the job. There's a very powerful interview with my father. It's on YouTube. It's by a, a video producer, Harvey Wang. And it he says, talking about the members that we lost, not in a in a grim manner. It was that he fully understood the dangers of the job. Didn't make him shy away from the job. Didn't make him love the job any less. But he certainly, I think, those early experiences and going to work with my grandfather certainly showed him that this is a very, very dangerous job. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not, right? And we do it because we choose to do it. We do it because we love to do it. But there is absolute inherent risk. And I think those early experiences just cemented that. And again, he, he didn't prescribe to the theory that there's nothing we can do to prevent risk by no means. But there is always an inherent risk in what we do. And I think those fires and those experiences imbued on him that this is a very, very dangerous job. We have to take it very seriously. And no matter what we do, and, and again, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm stealing his lines, but, and I'm paraphrasing, but no matter what we do, we will, unfortunately, we very well have another line of duty. And I think that's, 
that's important for I think for for firefighters to understand. Or again, not to say that we can't do everything in the world to try to change that outcome. And that's what we do. That's what we train as hard as we do. That's what we do everything we do. But I think those experiences showed him that because of what we do, sometimes the outcome is not the one we hope for. The early 1970s was an extraordinarily tumultuous time in the United States, particularly in New York City. Anti-Vietnam War sentiment, racial tensions, urban crime and blight were abundant. Though disenfranchised with the state of labor relations, which manifested in form of a brief but unprecedented strike by firefighters on November 6, 1973, FDNY members were responding to and operating at an inordinate number of structural fires across the city in the early 1970s. It was a grueling, turbulent, and extremely dangerous time to be an FDNY member. But the firefighters, fire officers, and chief officers of that era individually and collectively acquired an unrivaled volume of experience. Amidst all this, Lieutenant Bill Feehan was promoted to the rank of captain in 1972 and assigned to Engine Company 59 in Harlem, a company whose legacy was cemented during the war years. Captain Feehan spent four years as the company commander of 59 Engine before transferring to Engine Company 28 on the Lower East Side, a company with a relatively small response area and an excessive amount of fire duty in tenements at the time even by warrior standards. When asked what his father's favorite rank might have been, John believes that his father genuinely loved every rank, but surmises that he enjoyed his years as a company commander the most. Unfortunately, he passed away before I got promoted, so uh, I didn't really get a chance to talk to him about what being an officer is like. My guess is going to be his captain. I think he was, I'm not going to say lucky, he certainly earned it, but he was a captain of two very, very busy and, and premier engine companies, 59 engine and 28 engine. I think at that level, he felt that he probably had the most impact on his on his team and his his members. But that's a, that's a great question. And maybe I'm putting my own views in there. You know, maybe that's it too. But I, I loved every rank, but I, I would say captain. I would think that would be the answer. Captain Bill Feehan was promoted to battalion chief in May of 1977. He spent the next 14 years ascending the chief officer ranks before becoming chief of department in August of 1991. As he moved from position to position in the chief's ranks, Chief Feehan encountered a diverse array of personalities, cultures, and subcultures, often during seasons of political strife but was by all accounts respected, admired, and genuinely liked. An impressive feat for a leader, and one that John attributes to his genuine love for the fundamentally gritty nature of the job. I mean, he went through, you know, war years into, like you said, a lot of a lot of stuff that, that hit the fire department. Losing the fifth man, remember him being, not, not stressed out so much, but that was a big time, right? And that was a lot of uh, political upheaval is inside the department. I, I know we're going through a certain amount now, too, as well. I understand that. I, I think what made him have the staying power that he did, I think primarily, was his just unabashed love for the job. I really can't express what the job meant to him. And I think that 
that showed to people, right? He wasn't giving anybody a line. He wasn't peddling bullshit. He, he meant that he loved the job. Chief Bill Feehan's tenure as chief of department was relatively short, not for lack of effective leadership of the department nor love of the job, but because in 1994, Chief Bill Feehan turned 65, the age at which uniformed members must retire. Chief Feehan wasn't the first in his family to stay in uniform until 65. His father, Bill Sr., was forced to retire after 31 years of service at age 65, despite the fact that he didn't want to. Fortunately for Chief Feehan, he was such a vaunted and valued asset that he merely transitioned from uniform service to service as an appointed deputy commissioner. In this role, he worked with and advised senior uniformed leaders of the department to include the chief of department. Former FDNY Fire Commissioner Daniel Nigro was a staff chief during this time in Feehan's career and recalls what made Feehan a unique and valued asset to both the staff and larger membership in his role as deputy commissioner. Well, I think, you know, Bill always loved to be called chief because he was a chief for so long. Uh, the staff really considered him one of us, of course, a senior member, but a chief nonetheless. And I know for myself, uh, if I really had a question that was going back and forth in my mind and I needed advice from somebody, that was the person I would go to and sit in the office and tell him what I was thinking. And he would share his wisdom with me. I wasn't the only one that bounced things off Bill Fian. I'm sure many people did and many people trusted his experience, his wisdom and his kindness. You know, I think uh, somewhat unique, you know, people you come across at, at that level, they're either um, many times uh, somewhat dictatorial or somewhat laissez-faire, anything goes. And Bill could bridge those two things. And, you know, his history in the department gave him a sense of how he felt the department should run and how people should act as members of the department. And he was very firm on that. And yet, he had such a big heart, he could understand when people slipped up, when people acted perhaps in a way they shouldn't. And he, instead of just being someone that would reprimand, he offered advice and tried to turn everybody towards being that example of what a firefighter, a fire officer, or a deputy commissioner, for that matter, assistant commissioner should be as part of the department. In that way, he was very much respected as a person who had compassion and yet upheld the standards of the department that we all try to do to some extent, and Bill was able to do it completely. Chief Feehan continued to have a command presence at major fires and emergencies while maintaining his primary function in executive and strategic capacities as a deputy commissioner. Despite having nearly 30 years on the job, John will still occasionally hear a story about his father that he hasn't heard before. Each new story merely reinforces his father's love for the job and its members and his willingness to lead from the front, coupled with his empathy for those who possess a blue-collar work ethic. I just heard a, a great story not too long ago. I was um, 
preparing to study for an exam, which didn't work out as well as I wanted to, but that's another you know there. But one of the people studying with uh, told me a great story when he was first deputy commissioner. There was a fire in a church. You know, the fire was still really not contained. It's in a lot of voids in the church and everything else. And he turns around and, and there's, there's my father in a suit in there with him and a helmet, right? Trying to, trying to figure out the best way to fight this fire, right? And that I mean, he's first deputy fire commissioner at that time. So I think his love of the job, his willingness to lead from the front, and his compassion and understanding of what this job takes. He'd been doing it for, you know, whatever, 20, 30 years. He knows the stressors it puts on a family. He knows the stressors, right, what it means to work. He worked two jobs until he was almost, you know, maybe, I'm not going to say 70, but he worked the majority of his life. He worked two jobs to keep his family well taken care of. So he knew the stressors. I think he could sympathize with different problems that came across his desk. His respect for everybody that was on the job, I rarely ever heard of a story or never heard of a story of him talking down to someone. He always treated everyone like an equal. Across the department, Bill Feehan was known as chief or deputy commissioner and viewed by many as a father figure in the FDNY. But at home, he shared a more intimate, relaxed relationship with his loved ones. In the Feehan family, he was dad to his children and pop-pop to his grandchildren. His grandson, Connor, born in 1993, remembers the early years of his childhood with his grandfather in Queens. He loved to see us and we loved to see him. It was always like a, like an event in our minds. Like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna go to Pop Pop's house in Flushing. And uh, we would always get very excited for that. And I remember every time we would pull in the driveway, he had this beautiful uh, patch of ivy in the front with the brick steps. And he would always be uh, out in the front steps waiting for us, you know, as, as we pull up. and. Uh, he would come out with literally with open arms and say, "Hey, con man!" You know, he had little nicknames for us, and uh, he was just so so overjoyed to see us every time. Um, and 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 likewise, from our perspective, we were always so happy to be there and spend some time with him. Obviously, just I remember the tremendous amount of love he had for us. And uh, before my sisters came around, I would occasionally spend the odd weekend with him. You know, on a, a little sleepover if my parents had like a wedding or something, or they had to go upstate or out east or whatever. And I remember. Little details like uh, we'd have like dinner, but it would be like uh, cut up little hot dogs and stuff like that with a little, little bit of ketchup and mustard. Yeah, he wasn't much of a cook and he would, he would be the first to admit that. And just, you know, if he had to run an errand, he would take me in his car. And usually it would be like a department vehicle, unmarked or marked. And uh, I remember being fascinated with all the department radios in, in the center console. Of course, I had no idea what that meant, but it was just so cool to see it. So little, little stuff like that. And uh, like I said, just of course, he would, he would do anything that we would ask. Uh, he, he was so generous with his time. Even though he did spend a tremendous amount of time at work, the times he was off at home, he would love uh, spending time with us. And of course, my other cousins as well, it wasn't just myself, my two sisters. And then, you know, whether it be uh, summertime in Breezy Point where he, he bought a bungalow back in the day where he raised his family in the summertime. So he would come down there and spend some couple summer days with us uh, down there and uh, wasn't a big fan of the beach, didn't quite like going there, but he would, the farthest we can get him down with, to, uh, to the old bungalow, the family bungalow. So. Uh, a lot of great memories there, and just, uh, again, he just loves spending time with his family, and uh, we, we love spending time with him. The morning of September 11th, 2001, changed the course of New York City and FDNY history, as well as the Feehan family, forever. John Feehan was a firefighter in Squad 252 at the time, 
and a hospital corpsman in the Navy Reserves. He, like so many others, started that day completely unaware of the horrific attacks that would transpire, claiming the lives of so many loved ones. I was studying for my lieutenant's exam. The exam was supposed to take place in October of that year. So me and a very good friend of mine, 252 member Robin McDermott, we headed out to fire tech, supposed to be out in Bethpage by nine o'clock. We got hit with traffic. It was like 10 to nine. We weren't going to make it. We figured it's not worth it. Let's just turn around. So we turned around. You know, I don't think we were in Nassau County. We both lived in Queens at the time. I'm still in Queens. And we came back and I was living in College Point, Queens at the time. And I remember when he dropped me off, I saw a huge plume of smoke. And they said, oh, something's going on in Manhattan, right? Not thinking anything of it. Walked in the door. I left the TV on all the time because I had a dog at the time. I, for some reason, I figured the dog watches TV. I don't know what I was thinking. And uh, and there it was. But on Channel 1 News, I got on the phone, tried to get hold of Rob. He was, wasn't home yet. Turned on the scanner. I always make a joke. I had a scanner in my crib, but I always had a scanner. And started reaching out to people and figure out what we're going to do. I finally got hold of Rob McDermott. He came back and got me. We headed into 252, grabbed our gear, started heading in. We were on Beekman by the Beekman Tavern. We were at 252 when the first building collapsed. We heard the Maydays, we heard the urgents, and we were just about at the Beekman walking towards what we hoped was going to be the command post when the second building came down. So we were we were about on Beekman and John, but you know, as we all saw the video, couldn't see a hand in front of your face crawling around the street. Smoke lifted, I, I knew I had to find where the command post would be, right? Because the part that, and I'm sure you've heard this from a hundred, if not more people, the absolute silence after that was, was, I can't even describe it. What should have been chaotic was dead silence for a long time. And that really freaked me out. So I knew we had to find the, uh, the command post. If my father was going to be anywhere. It would be at the command post. And, uh, it took a while, it took a while and asking people, you know, in, in the interim, we got involved in a couple of small helping people around. And, um, it's probably about three in the afternoon. Everybody I saw, I asked and looking back at it now, I think some people did know that he had passed. They just didn't want to be the one to say it. I, I get that. I wouldn't want to be the one to give you the news either. But a, a friend who was a chief in a 5-7 battalion when I was in 235, Rod O'Connor, pulled me aside and said, uh, you know, he's gone. And uh, I got there. Uh, chief Siegel, who was the chief of soccer at the time, was able to get me to the ambulance so I, I could see him. And then I just had to work my way getting home to my family. That was that day. And uh, it was all for a while. You know, we had to do the funeral and everything. And about a week later, went back with 252. And, and you guys know the rest, right? You know, you guys know what we did for the next for the next year. On the morning of 9-11, Chief Bill Feehan not only witnessed one of the most historic and costly fires and emergencies in FDNY history, as he had on so many other occasions over the course of his career that touched six separate decades, but he was again leading from the front with character, conviction, and composure. John has largely elected not to research his father's movements and actions on that fateful morning, but he takes solace in knowing that his father was precisely where he wanted to be and in the company of his closest friends and confidants. I didn't do too much into his step-by-step -step actions that day. Before he left headquarters, it was very chaotic. I know Eileen, his secretary at the time, always told the story, you know, everyone was kind of running around trying to figure out the best way to do it. He just said, all right, everybody cool it, calm down. Let's get in the car, we're going down there. 
there's some the French film, which well, I'm sure we've all seen. There's some video of them trying to put things together. There are some stories which I don't know if I necessarily believe. And maybe Peter Chris Gancy would, would might have better knowledge of this than I do. He was with Chief Gancy. They were discovered very close to each other. I think they were together. I think when the first building collapsed, he started, him and Chief Gancy started moving everybody up, getting them out of that area. And they were obviously both caught in the second collapse. Uh, again, uh, Pete and Chris may have a little more insight as to, as to the, what happened in, in the final couple of moments. Maybe I didn't find out not that I'd be afraid of hearing something, but you know, I just like to know in my in my heart, in my head, that he did everything he could, and they all did. They all did. And uh, you know, I, I know the only solace, I guess, if you can say, that I could take out of losing him that day was that I I know what it would absolutely rip him apart to know that he lost that many that many guys, you know. Fire Commissioner Daniel Nigro was the chief of operations on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Among the chaos and uncertainty, he recalls that Chief Feehan epitomized the first in and last to leave principle, a leadership attribute that would ultimately lead to his death, but bring Feehan eternal reverence. Well, as we approach 9-11, and I think back no one would have faulted Bill Feehan as a 70-year-old first deputy commissioner for being far from the actual World Trade Center site and far from the rescue operation. And yet, that wasn't him. You know, he was, call me chief. He went with Pete Gancy to try to rescue some folks who were still, or, or were still trapped after the first collapse and he lost his life. And I think his legacy is of sacrifice. You know, he's, he really gave his life to the department working. He would come in early in the morning. He would stay late at night. He, he was the epitome of a hardworking member of the department right to the end. And, you know, it, it caused his death. And yet I'm sure he wouldn't have had it any other way. You know, there's no way he was not in the middle of that on that morning and unfortunately lost his life. And I think um, he'll always be known as a hero of the department. Chief Feehan commonly spoke to the harsh realities and dangers associated with firefighting. He was the son of a tough firefighter who was seriously injured and narrowly escaped death on several occasions over the course of his career. Chief Feehan observed and ushered in profound technological change in the FDNY over the course of his career. He embraced technology designed to mitigate the risks involved with structural firefighting, but candidly cautioned that technology and first-class training would not absolve firefighters of real and deadly risk in the performance of their mission-oriented duties. In the early 1990s, Chief Behan candidly shared his view on the incessantly dangerous nature of the vocation in the documentary film with Wang at Fire Department Headquarters. You know, we, we've had 127 years of, of paid fire department in New York City. And in that 127 years, we have lost 752 people. That's an awfully large number. I don't think anybody who understands this business and understands this department, I mean, 
mean, I think we all have the same wish that, you know, that that's the last, that we'll never lose another. But I know, I mean, I know as soon as I'm sitting here that no matter what we do, no matter how well we train, no matter how good our equipment is, no matter how hard we try, no matter, no matter what, they'll be at 753rd. Chief Bill Feehan's remarks about sacrifice would prove prescient. The FDNY would go on to lose a 753rd member, and in the aftermath of September 11th, 343 names were added to the department's memorial wall, including that of his own. Chief Bill Feehan was just shy of 72 years of age on 9-11, the oldest member in the department's illustrious history to make the supreme sacrifice at a fire or emergency operation. In the years following 9-11, John Feehan promoted on several occasions and went on to serve as a lieutenant, a company commander, and a battalion chief. Leaders like John and his peers played a critical role in rebuilding the FDNY, contributing to its resilience. In 2014, Chief Daniel Nigro was appointed as the 33rd Fire Commissioner of the FDNY. Commissioner Nigro and Chief Feehan's careers had many parallels. Both were the sons of FDNY firefighters. Both ascended the uniformed ranks to become chiefs of department. Both had daughters who married FDNY firefighters and both continued to serve the department that they so dearly loved after retirement from the uniformed ranks. Commissioner Nigro was one of the department's longest serving fire commissioners and reflects on the inspiration that he and others drew from Chief Feehan's infectious spirit and reverence of the department's timeless mission. It's a really good company to be in when you can be in the same career path, so to speak, as Bill Feehan. And uh, he spoke very highly of his dad. I, I knew about his dad. He was kind of a generation, a half of a generation uh, ahead of me because um, his father was a little older than my father. He was a little younger than, than my dad. And, and he kind of fit in between my father and myself. I think he started uh, in the department in, in the 1950s and, and I started in the 60s. So. One of the things that stands out to me is how well-spoken Bill was in front of groups and how inspiring he could be. And many times when I was trying to sit down and write something or uh, adjust something that was written for me, I would think of Bill and how he would quote famous people, how he could speak off the top of his head and how sitting on a dais and watching him speak to a group, how attentive they were to his words and wanting to be like that and be a leader that people listen to. Because often you're in a group and people say words and at the, the end of that event, you can't remember a single thing they said. You know, the old commercial used to say, when, when they speak, people listen. And when Bill spoke, people listened and they paid attention. And the message that he was trying to give them about the department was received. And it was something I always thought, I hope I can be at least something like Bill Feehan in that regard and inspire people to love the department, to 
perform the mission of the department as they should. And remember that always. This September marks the 22nd anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center and America. John Feehan continues to serve as a battalion chief with nearly a decade in rank. John has followed in his father's footsteps, not only in the sense that he became a firefighter and eventually a chief officer, but in the sense that the men and women under his charge respect him and like knowing that he is in command in front of the fire building at a good job. Like his father, the respect that John commands from those under his charge is the product of his genuine love for the job and those who do the job. Chief Feehan works with some young firefighters who are too young to remember many details about that September day that forever changed the FDNY. But he continues to see his father's legacy and the legacy of those who made the supreme sacrifice on 9-11 on display. I think not just my father, I think all of those legends that we talked about, the Ray Down and the Pete Gancy, they absolutely shaped the whole next generation of leaders that, that led us out of that. As great a job as, as Pete Hayden and Sal Cassano and Dan Nigro and those guys did, I, I don't think we can ever really understand without being in their shoes what they were faced with, putting back together a, a completely decimated department physically, emotionally, mentally. And I think our ability to come out of that through those leaders is a direct nod or acknowledgement of the leadership before them, right? Because we all, we all build off our leaders before us, right? We all had a, a captain we learned from, a lieutenant we learned from, and those guys all did a really good job, a great job of rebuilding this department, which was almost a possible task when you look at it on 9-12, right? I think the fact that we're standing here as the New York City Fire Department, still the best in the world, I think that's their legacy. They taught and put it in the right hands that we were able to come back from that. And listen, I'm not going to bullshit you, you know, standing on that pile on 9-11, I was like, how am I going to recover from this? There's no coming back from this, you know. But we did, we did, and uh, it was a great leadership, it was a great members, and I think that's the legacy of all those guys that they taught us how to do things the right way. Battalion Chief John Feehan is a third-generation firefighter, but not the last in the Feehan lineage. In 2016, the Feehan lineage added a fourth-generation firefighter to its ranks when Chief Feehan's grandson, Connor Davin, joined the FDNY. Connor's paternal grandfather also served for several decades in the FDNY after distinguished service with the U.S. Navy during World War II. Connor's father, Brian, is a 34-year veteran of the department and presently serves as the battalion commander of the 19th Battalion in the Bronx. Connor is presently assigned to Ladder Company 120 in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and spent several years in Engine Company 231 before moving across the floor the same firehouse where his dad was a firefighter, and fittingly, one steeped in tradition. Like his father and grandfather, Connor has an affinity for history and is humbled to be on a job where Grandfather Feehan had a monumental impact in developing the FDNY's mission-oriented capabilities, and perhaps, more importantly, 
in stewarding its values and culture. Well, it means a tremendous amount to me, especially since I've been on, you know, about just eight, seven years. You know, I'm a bit of a history buff myself, so I've, I've read a little bit on uh, the job in general and, again, Walkinsbury's history and, of course, his, too, because uh, when you look at his career on paper, it can be a little intimidating. He went through every single rank of the department. He saw and did a whole lot. So when you see the breadth of his career and the influence he had over so many guys who were either still on, not quite as many, of course, but the guys who retired, and of course, guys who were also killed alongside him, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. For myself, I mean, I don't know if, if I'll be on quite as long as he was, but uh, if I can have a fraction of the career that he had and a fraction of the influence that he had, I'll be incredibly lucky. But it means a whole lot. To say that I'm related to a man who was known in his inner circle as the father of the fire department, man, that, that's incredible. I mean, I, I can't tell me how many guys who are still on today or guys that I meet at retired functions or whatever it is that have a story about how he gave them a second chance, whether they were charged to try and get on the job or were in danger of maybe being kicked off the job or whatever circumstances. Uh, but he was a firm, firm believer in the second chances. And they were all, they're always so grateful, even to this day, that you know, if it wasn't for your grandfather, I wouldn't be on. Or I, 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 if it wasn't for your grandfather, I wouldn't have stayed in my original company where I, where I loved. And um, he was a firm man, you know, stern in terms of principles and, you know, following the rules. Uh, but he wasn't too much of a sicker that he wouldn't give anybody a second look. And uh, he was a believer in the human spirit and a believer in redemption. And uh, and it's still felt to this day. Yeah, if, if, if a fourth generation, his grandson can still get stories about him. I think that only speaks to the depth of his character. On behalf of the Leadership Under Fire team, I would like to extend our gratitude to former FDNY Fire Commissioner Daniel Nigro, Battalion Chief John Feehan, and Firefighter Connor Davin for sharing their candid insights. I'd also like to acknowledge LUF founder Jason Bresler for writing and producing this episode. It's an honor to help share the story of the extraordinary life and legacy of FDNY Chief Bill Feehan and to honor our commitment to never forget. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.